Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. All right, Sheena, so on every episode, we ask people what their daily routine is. Yeah. Shep Maher has thoroughly instilled uh, 6 a.m. Peloton rides for me twice a week. Shout out to Shep. You have picked up meditation through a couple people, but I think Alex recently from Twilio. So the question is, did you meditate today? So (laughs) (laughs) let me first talk about the first part of what you brought up. Yes, Alex got me back into meditation. I was like on an off streak for a really long time. And Mm -hmm. then I was inspired after talking to him. And he mentioned the Calm app. So I did actually download that Ah. and have been using that. Some apps, you know, they have like a lot of like background talking. But um, I'm using like the the versions that they have where it's like just calming music. Um, So I have gotten back into it. Lovely. Today was an off day. It was a rough go. I know it was <laughs> a rough, rough It's morning. been a rough like two days. So um, that's not an excuse. It's a perfect reason to meditate probably when you get home if you can. Just let that's that. That's very true. Try to, try, to, try to center yourself. I also have not been on the meditation wagon for two weeks. So I'm preaching what I don't do or teaching what I don't preach. Um, but no, that's Tonight. okay. Tonight, Tonight, there's still time. There's there still is. plenty it's of time. It's a long today. day. It's a long day. Uh, well, so today we talked to Lou Wolf, Vice President of New Business Sales at Zoom Info, powered by Discover.org. And I have to say, this is probably the most data-driven conversation we've had on the podcast so far, which makes sense because Zoom Info sells data. It's a data company, exactly. So, uh, you know, if they were not driving their business based <laughs> on data and insights, I think that would be a little bit of a... Uh, be a warning flag. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be weird. Um, but there's really interesting uh, two things that I really liked. One was his rise from AE to VP, all at Zoom Info. And then two, uh, something what I would say is like kind of crazy is that the two biggest competitors in their space, Discover.org and Zoom Info, merged. And he t- takes us through that story, that journey, and how they were able to mesh those companies together. Yeah. Really fascinating um, conversation on, especially on like that latter point. Um, and, you know, whether or not you are actually going through that experience or have yeah. been through that, I think it's just really interesting to um, understand what goes into such a big event um, like that for any sector. Yeah. A lot of great tips, a lot of action items. Let's dive into our interview with Lou Wolf. All right, Lou, thanks so much for being here. We have an icebreaker question that we like to start with, which is what does your morning routine look like if you have one? Nice. So I, I get up early. I go, I go to the gym before work. And I roll in here and, uh, my, uh, my new trick for the, for the month is, um, the RX bar version, uh, the, the cup version. So I have my breakfast right at work. I get a coffee and immediately I check who's, who's around and immediately see what, uh, the early birds on my team might need help with what's going on with them. Just make sure everybody's pumped up. And then, uh, when I fire up the computer, I have a, pretty detailed built out dashboard of results, objectives, and activities. 
um, that we think are important for how we get there. And I spent 15 minutes just looking at it, seeing where we're at, um, what isn't happening, what what's happening well, mm-hmm. uh, and trying to plan out things that have to have to happen for specific reps and specific uh, management teams. That's how I start every day before I get into a, a pile of emails and slacks and whatnot. It sounds like you have a very refined process. Work out, help the team, start the day with data. It seems to work pretty well so far. <laughs> uh, so beforehand, um, you played varsity soccer in college. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that and if you have a favorite team? Yeah, so I, I, I did play in college, and that was probably one of the things I look back on that I feel like really shaped me to be ready for sales. Uh, just, you know, the constant press on, on getting better, having somebody who's, uh, who's leading you and a coach that's really hard on you and, and constantly telling you, you need to get better. Um, I, I think that really helped me kind of build the person who I, who I am. Uh, now I, now I coach my daughter's team. That's probably my favorite team. Awesome. Um, but I, I love that. I follow, I follow Chelsea now that we got uh, some, some U.S. Nationals on Chelsea, so I, I watch them whenever they're on. And then uh, I like the New England Revolution where I can go see some live games. That's rad. Does your daughter's team uh, have a name? Officially, they're DePaul, but they make up their own name. So uh, right now we got white uniforms, and uh, all the girls call it White Lightning. Nice. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so today you, you're at Zoom Info. You're responsible for uh, new business sales. You're the VP of that uh, of the business. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that means to you? What exactly are you responsible for? Yeah. So at at Zoom Info, um, myself and and one counterpart, uh, the two of us are the VPs of the new business sales team. So we're, um, so my responsibility is the East Coast sales team responsible for bringing on new customers. Anything that does not have a contract with Zoom Info is an account in my territory. Um, as long as I'm East Coast, uh, my team consists of 10 managers and directors and 70 plus reps mm-hmm. right now and growing. R- really, the, the goal for our team is how do we get new organizations exposed to Zoom Info, understanding how this is different than what they're doing and, and signing on. So it's, uh, it's very much that front, front end of uh, the, the customer journey that, that we're supporting mm-hmm, all, mm-hmm. all the time here. It looks like you've spent um, a majority of your career at Zoom Info specifically focused on new business sales. I'm curious, like what characteristics um, that you believe you embody that really set you up to focus and help folks that are oriented towards new business sales versus renewals, account management, et cetera. Yeah. And look, go, going back a ways, like my first five years at Zoom, we had hybrid reps. So I was actually a hybrid rep at mm-hmm. Zoom and I managed customers and brought on, on new new businesses. And I, I like doing both. And I, frankly, the selling portion of those jobs is, is quite similar in a lot of ways. Um, I did o- over the long haul kind of gravitate to the new business side as we split this up into specialties, um, which was a, a move that I think really paid off for Zoom Info. I think in particular, our customers get better support, but we also have a better handle on our, our pipeline and our growth. And do we have the resources to get where we need when when we divide up those roles. Um, but you know, I've gravitated to new business in that, you know, I, I like learning about, you know, what an organization's new challenges are. And, and there, there's a, a challenge in, in figuring out what's going on in a business and what does it look like to sit 
in, in the seat of the person you're talking about that I really, I really enjoy digging in on that. Mm-hmm. And once you're working with a customer for a while, you sort of know that and, and it's more routine. And I think it becomes more about, um, your product and, and your product capabilities and a little bit less about them. And so I've always, um, you know, having to make a choice would, would rather be on the new business side with the, the excitement of needing to kind of build that relationship and build that understanding of what you're working on. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. So you rose through the ranks at zoom info from senior account executive to VP. I'm curious of the, all the levels that you jumped to from AE to manager, manager, director, director to VP, which one was the most challenging transition? I think the, the hardest transition was the first time going into leadership. So getting out of the AA role and having my own book of business in total control of what I was doing. And then all of a sudden being a manager of the team. Um, it, you know, that was a really like something I really badly wanted to do. I was all excited for it. I knew I could do it. I'd been a team lead. I'd help on ramp tons of reps Mm -hmm. and whatnot. But what I didn't realize is that when you really make that change, all the things you're looking at and all the things you need to do to, to get ahead of your number are totally different. Like you can't do it yourself. You can't take the quota of eight people and go run every deal. You have to, you have to become a, a leader and a manager and getting myself to let go of the selling aspect. Not that I'm not on calls. I still want to be able to, you know, show my reps. I, I can do what I'm asking them to. You still but, got it. You got to prove you still got it. <laughs> you got you to gotta, you gotta make sure you're still there and, and you're not just barking all day. But, um, to you know, you have to get this discipline to change what you're doing and own your time. And that was a really hard transition that took probably a whole year for me to, you know, really let go of some of the things I used to do um, and get myself where I could effectively really scale a team. Um, so that was really challenging. I will say that um, my current role, you know, is, is when I went from a director to a VP, now I have a line of management in between every rep and myself. You know, that has a similar challenge, but the, mm-hmm. but at least I was prepared from doing it once before. It sounds like you've been mastering essentially a new type of management, right? There's individual pipeline management, then there's multiply that by eight management. Now there's managing other managers. What's kind of been the key to your success, do you think? I think first it's really just just taking good looks at like what are the goals, what are the objectives that the company wants me to get to and and laying that out and then and then organizing myself and saying, all right, what are the things I need to do to get there and crossing out all the little things that might win you one deal or might help in a super short term. And then saying like that, that's not a sustainable path, mm-hmm. like looking long-term and making sure you're spending your time on things that get you big wins is, is the biggest key. And, and whenever uh, the job gets super daunting, I can usually look back and say, all right, I'm spending time on things that aren't big enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, like I just, just to give you an example, right. If, uh, if you get too caught up, if I get too caught up in one deal and, and I spend all my time, you know, I spend hours upon hours on one deal and make sure that one deal gets one, right. That we have one new customer, but did my, is my rep able to go do that re- repeatedly again and again, they might not be mm-hmm. right. So making sure I'm, acting in that coaching, uh, example 
position and not just owning the deal is, is incredibly important, especially um, that I think that's something that I'm working on all the time with the managers that work for me and making sure that they're doing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, for first time managers, it's no shock. I mean, it is the first time you're kind of letting go of the reins in a way. And it's like, how do you balance jumping in on deals, not just showing you still got it, but obviously helping the team when they need it, but then also, you know, kind of teaching them to fish themselves, right? So that they can go handle those calls, you know, a few weeks later without you involved. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And like, you guys know it as well as anybody, but you listen to a call of a relatively new rep and you want it to be perfect. And, and when you hear things that aren't, aren't great, you want to jump in and you want to push, you want to just take care of it and whatnot, but you have to sit back and remember there's like a, there's a growth progression and it's okay that not everything goes perfectly as long as it's getting better and better over time sure. and, and holding yourself back to, to make sure you're developing people that way and is really key. I had a question um, kind of going back to like that first time transition into becoming a manager. Do you have any stories that you can recall where, you know, you kind of knew that you were on track and you were being the manager that your reps needed? So I, I remember one point really specifically, there is a, a rep on my team, Will Fertini, who's one of the, the directors here now. Um, he was decently new and working unbelievably hard and doing really well. And there's one call in particular where, where I remember we were just a little bit off base and whatnot. And I, I wanted to jump in. I finally like held my, held myself back and I let the call play out. And afterwards, you know, we just, we debriefed and we, we coached the call up in a little different way. And, and you know, it, something clicked with Will in, in the way he was, he was pushing to get to a next step. And, and all of a sudden he's like, he's like, all right, so I'm going to do it this other way. I, instead of proposing what we're doing, I'm going to ask questions so that they say it. His very next call, like the next call, you heard him do this. He won the deal like mm-hmm. two days later, but it was just this instant change in what he was doing. Sure. And all of a sudden I, I sat, I was able to sit back and be like, all right, wait, now I don't have to be on those calls for Will anymore. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and you're right. like, like, wow, that's like five hours, a, five hours a day. And then, and now Will's teaching everybody else around here how to do it. So it's like when you go over something and then you see it out on the floor or you capture it and your team can send you a snippet of a recorded call and say, here, here you go. Like that's when you know what you're doing is working. You're on something. Yeah. Yeah. Must be a yeah satisfying absolutely. feeling. So let's so talk now, a little bit more about um, Zoom Info. So Zoom Info is a company you focus on providing really the best data sets for, for organizations um, to help them uh, target their markets. What role does data play for you in your day-to-day decisions? And data is part of every decision around here. Um, not only are we a, a data company, you know, helping helping organizations, you know, know their um, ideal customer profile and all the contacts and companies they need to go after and, and know why, right? We're using um, we're using data to inform every decision we make, um, and I, I don't think there's too many companies out there that have a team organizing information um for their sales leaders decisions better than us Mm -hmm. you know i know um you know if we're thinking about price changes we're getting all the data on how every different segment interacts and the the price points that they're buying at and the types of products they're buying and if we're wondering why you know a small a small business company isn't buying certain products we're pulling all of this information to you know see the trends over time and analyze it um, we're incredibly good at making a change and then making sure we're running data for the next couple months to look at and say, hey, is that working? 
Um, I think that's the biggest thing is we're, we're able to make a change and then have, have extreme confidence, you know, Hey, that was a good price change or, um, you know, and, and our win rates going up, you know, we, we lowered our price and our win rates going up a ton, or we raised our price a little bit. And, you know, is the win rate getting hit? Um, having all of that insight to confirm what you're doing is, is ultra key. Mm-hmm. Um, we run, you know, dozens of, cam- of sales campaigns a month and we measure each one and we know what our open rate is. We know what our response rate is. We know how many of the deals that were part of that campaign are actually won. Um, it can be a little tricky to say like, did we win the deal because of that campaign or was it already a good deal in the pipeline? Sure, sure. But, but you still, you know, if, uh, you know, if you're doing more harm than good or, or more good than, than harm, what, if you're running that data all the time. That's terrific. I know mean, you start your day with that data dashboard, but it looks like it continues throughout every critical decision um, uh, throughout the journey. I don't know if you can share what's on that dashboard, but I, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. What, what's on the dashboard, Lou? <laughs> Built out our, uh, our our leadership structure, right, based on, um, you know, what, one of the books that we borrowed was the Cracking the Sales Management Code and some of the philosophy from there. Hmm. Um, but so you look at it, like there's – there's uh, results where we ultimately have to get to, right? The revenue that we need to, to book or the revenue for a certain product that we need to book. Um, there's objectives, which are the, the things that relate into that. And then there's the activities, which are what, you know, we really focus on like at the, the manager level of like, hey, th- you can go have the team do this and that will influence the result. You can't just say, hey, get to this revenue number, right? right? So we start out with our results. I have, you know, revenue, I have revenue, um, for product, I have our uh, average order size, which is an important stat for us. I have our, our trailing 90 win rate. Then I have, from an objective standpoint, we're looking at, you know, pipeline metrics. We're looking at how many meetings my team is getting, um, how many meetings my team is uh, is considering good and, and moving on to an opportunity versus how many they, they think aren't a good fit. Mm-hmm quotes that are out, docu-signs are out, all of that stuff, you know, from a data perspective, right? We have a really good idea of our forecast and pipeline from those types of metrics. When you're watching that, it gives you an extra check down to, you know, the team forecast and team roll-up um, that can help you feel a lot more confident in where you're going or no, wait, we got a clear point here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it sounds like you have a pretty, pretty in-depth look from end to end from pretty much, you know, first touch or metrics of activity all the way to, you know, uh, signatures that are out there or contracts that are out there for signature. What are some of kind of like the warning signs that you're looking for here? Like, is there anything specific maybe you're focusing on in Q1 or you just have this eye on the dashboard? Like, Hey, if I see a blip in a weird direction, we're, we're jumping on it a lot faster than waiting for, you know, a negative result down the line. Yeah. So one of the things that we're watching ultra closely right now. And, and this came up a, a little while ago is we're looking at how many of our ops, we call it single threaded. How many of our opportunities are single threaded where our interactions and activity are just with one person in the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we are actually tracking how many people is my rep reaching out to and how many people at the company are replying back to us. And that could be that they're on a recorded call, um, you know, call a, a, a recorded call. It could be that um, they emailed us how many people are we emailing? And so we watch how many single threaded opportunities we have. When we're single threaded, our win rate is drastically lower. Hmm. And when we're engaged with multiple people in, in the opportunity, we have a really good idea that, that we can win that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then we also watch the, the timing of that interaction, how many interactions are happening in a given period. And so when we start to see like the, the glare points there that scare us are, Hey, we're only dealing with one person and a lot of opportunities that are at our purchasing decision or closing stage. Not a good sign. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that will, that will spark us managers to get involved in deals and start talking to the rep about like, what happened to the other people that were in your meetings? Why aren't they part of this? How, how is this going to close? Mm-hmm. And the same with uh, the interaction rate. So if our reps are saying a deal is going to close, but we can see that the amount of emailing and calling going on on that, on the, with that account is degrading and, and it's less than before. Well, we know that that deal is actually probably not coming or it's pretty rare. Um, and again, we can, we can speak up about that and try to create those interactions. That's so. really interesting. I'm, I'm curious, do you have, at least for your team, like an ideal number? Like if I see three people, I'm feeling really confident. If I see five, seven, is there kind of a number you guys drive towards or are we just avoiding one at all costs? So I think one is, one is the most detrimental. Mm-hmm. Um, with Zoom Info, wait, wait, we, we sell till one person shops to Microsoft and Fidelity, right? So there's a big variance. And I do have to look at that differently for my uh, commercial reps working on the lower market versus my strategic reps working on an enterprise. Right. You know, there's there's seven, eight buyers in an enterprise sales cycle. So I I need interaction with um, three or four of them at least, Mm -hmm. you know, at any given point. And if I look back at a deal over, you know, a quarter, I probably should have, I should have interaction on eight. Whereas if a commercial deal, two is, two is fine. Two could mean we have our influencer plus the CEO on, right. you know, in the deal and we're feeling really good. Um, but aside from the one man shop, uh, one person shops that, that buys Zoom info sometimes, um, everything should have at least two people involved. We can book a demo, kick off that demo. And then a week later, look back. And if we're only dealing with one person, you got to question that and say like, was there really only one person on that demo Mm -hmm. and why aren't we interacting with the other people? Or if there was one person on that demo, how are we going to go get other people involved for the next step? And that could mean identifying who those other people are and sending some value touches to them and making sure they're aware that this one person was looking at, at zoom info and bringing them to the table. It could mean uh, if you're dealing with a a lower or mid-level person going up to the C-suite and making sure they understand what zoom info is and why companies buy it and whatnot. And you can spark uh, a lot of bigger evaluations if, if you're doing that early. In every episode, we have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. And this week I'm going to dive right into it. Gartner has research showing that during their purchasing journey, buyers only spend 17% of their time meeting with sales reps. Now, if those buyers are comparing multiple vendors, their time with one rep, i.e. your rep, drops to only about five or 6%. That's not a lot of time. So the best way to grow that number is by multi-threading, something Lou has thoroughly integrated into his strategy, and for good reason. The Gong Labs team analyzed north of 50,000 sales opportunities and the sales calls and emails within them to understand how multi-threading impacts win rates. Here's what we found. Winning deals have at least three points of contact involved in meetings, defined as phone and web conferencing meetings. And on the other hand, losing deals struggle to connect with more than one point of contact from the buyer side. When more people are engaged in your deal, there's also a ramp up of engagement via email, and that's a massive predictor of deal success. 
On average, winning deals have eight points of contact over email and losing deals only have three. That's a massive 243% difference in email engagement. It's proof that connecting with multiple stakeholders by phone, web conferencing, and email builds momentum and influences deals. In short, multi-threading simply works. And by the way, there's a bonus attached to today's data breakout. If you jump over to the show notes, you can access Gong's recently released multi-threading playbook. It gives you ready-to-fire plays and tactical guidance on how to bring the sales motion into play. Check out the show notes for your free copy. How do you think revenue intelligence, um, and just to clarify for listeners, which is you know operating based on your customer's reality instead of based on opinion, how do you think that can benefit the MarTech sector more broadly? Obviously, the, the, the more you know how the customer is looking at things and what the customer is doing, the better position you can be with like all the side content, all the information, how you run your meetings, how you, you present to them, right? Mm-hmm. You can make sure you're focused in on what they really care about and not losing the match between the value they're trying to buy you on and all the other stuff that you're offering can do. Sure. So there's, you know, there's so many really cool um, te- technologies out there right now um, that can do so many things. You got to be really careful that you're not, you're not missing the point on helping a customer address the number one reason why they started talking with you. And, and probably revenue intelligence helps provide that visibility regardless of who's working with that customer, right? You may have uh, multiple stakeholders within your company. You may be handing off that customer from one team to another and can, and maintaining that understanding of what the customer cares about at all times um, is highly valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And look, over the life cycle of an account, right? You're an account's going to pass through a lot of people in your company, right? Yeah. Like I, we close a deal here, and it's it's it, well, our the way life cycle works here, right? And an SDR or an ins, inside sales rep has a first meeting with a lead. They qualify the lead. They capture a bunch of info that needs to be stored in the system, easily accessible for the per, the AE that's running the demo. So then somebody on my team takes over and runs that first meeting and works the deal from there. If they're missing all that data that we captured on call one, that's just frustrating to the customer plus creates that chance of a miss, right? Where we pitch the wrong product right. or miss one of those things that they brought up is, is a, a key need and why yeah. they're looking at it. Then from there, like say, say we win this uh, before my team can actually close the deal in Salesforce to get paid on it. Um, they have to fill out a whole whole chart new business handoff that goes to the uh, learning and development manager that's going to do the uh, the training. It goes to the implement implementation team that's going to help uh, make sure the integrations are, are set up for the customer. And it's going to go to the, uh, the account manager that's going to own the business in the long run. Um, and, and passing all that information puts you off in a much much better spot. And then our AMs are are held accountable to fill out you know, quarterly business reviews. And if an account's going to move from one AM to another and AM switches jobs or gets promoted, you need, you need all that capture or you're going to, going to miss why you had that relationship. So, I, you know, I, we, we lock that down and we're constantly capturing that and keeping it in a really organized fashion. I think it's super. I think a lot of listeners, Lou, probably have the same uh, desire to have such a smooth handoff process. Uh, if you're willing to share, what are some of the kind of like key highlights of that document from, AE to the handoff? Like what are some of the, the key things on that? So some of it's just 
core tactical stuff you shouldn't have to ask multiple times what systems do they have um it has a lot of the stuff that we ask in discovery um what was why did they come to us um what's their what's the current lay of the land before they they implement zoom info um any metrics that we captured whether it's like the customer's average order size how many calls they want their team making any stats like that um need to be in there um, for us, right? Uh, you, you're going to come to zoom info to obtain data on your target market. So we're going to capture deep details on the target market and that that's its own field that needs to be passed over so that uh, we're not constantly asking the, the customer to start over from scratch with us. Yeah. That might be alarming if you're on your uh, onboarding process, still telling zoom info, what kind of info you're into. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and so recently, there was a big shakeup in your guys' industry, which is Discover.org acquired ZoomInfo. And so I'm curious, what are some of the opportunities and, and the challenges that came along the way for, for you and your team? Yeah, so that was maybe maybe the coolest event that's happened to me career-wise, right? To have uh, the number one competitor that you're going head-to-head <laughs> with every single day and constantly pushing and, and positioning. These are the strengths of Zoom Info, and this is why you're going with Zoom. All of a sudden, um, acquired us, and now we're, we're, we're part of them. And it worked very much like a merger, which is cool. Like, there was almost nobody, nobody lost their job. It was, this was like scaling and bringing two companies together. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. I think one of the really unbelievable things that happened is we, we knew there was lots of synergies, but um, – the way the two companies went to market was, was very different. And, and so our strengths, uh, we had very different strengths. And so we had this huge opportunity to, to all of a sudden have the product in the marketplace that had the best of both worlds. It had, um, you know, just like as an example, Discover Org is known for having incredible data quality, incredible depth to the data and data points that nobody else had and all these, all these things that, you know, Zoom Info didn't do. And Zoom Info was known for being high quality, not as high as Discover Org, but very high quality, but having more data than anybody else. So we're selling, we're selling offerings on two very, you know, the same type of offering that checks off the same category box, but we're selling it on two very different value props. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunity we had was how do you put it together and give the world the best of both worlds, um, which is amazing and makes for an incredible product. And at this point, I think we're, we're, we're there. We're now, we, we know how to do this, but the challenge was for, for nine months, we had reps that were used to selling on certain value points and, and completely selling against certain value points sure. and they needed to change their pitch, right? Yeah. Like they needed to change how they viewed the market and, and uh, the, the reps from the Zoom Info side needed to learn the value of that depth and quality. And, and you know, we understood that to a degree, but we, were all, we always felt that the volume and, and quantity was, that was the most important value. And now we, all of a sudden we got this exposure to like the other things that the market cares about. They just weren't coming to us to buy it. Right. Um, and so there was a lot of shifting in sales knowledge intelligence and out of the gate you thought oh we're we're two competitors in the same market everyone's going to know how to do this right out of the gate yeah and then you realize the intricacy of that and that man that takes a lot of enablement to get the team humming again and in the right spot yeah that was going to be my question i've been at many companies where there's a new pitch a new competitive talk track and that can take weeks or months to stick 
I'm curious, how did you guys go about merging two completely different views of the market and two competitive products together? It takes a lot. The first thing I think we had to do, we had to make sure that the teams started to interact together and, and felt like they were on one team. So the faster we were able to get everybody into one set of sales sales tools into one set of comp plans and all of those things where it's not two different companies anymore, but one company, like just knocking out all of those hurdles was, was part one. Cause now everybody feels like they're on a, a level playing field and a fair playing field. Yeah. And then it's about bringing in, you know, cross communication and having the, the best people um, from each prior experience, helping the others to, to build everything out. Um, we, we're lucky here. We have a pretty, a pretty sizable enablement team that was building tons of content, tons of trainings, taking best practices calls. And we just, we took a lot of time from the sellers asking them to be on, you know, our trainings several times a week for, you know, over six months um, to, to bring all this together and just reinforcing it, reinforcing it, having a uh, call listening to part to our uh, enablement program so that, managers and the enablement team are checking down and, and catching reps that aren't delivering the value the right way or aren't asking the questions in discovery that lead to the new things that you could sell. It was just constantly being on top of them, but you know, really trying to integrate the two, two teams was the most important part. Did, did you personally see that your role changed um, after the acquisition? In some ways, my role is the same. Like I was running new business for Zoom Info, and I'm running new business sales uh, for the the new combined Zoom Info. Sure. Uh, but you know, my direct boss, the CRO, was a new and uh, new person, and the way that he wants to run the organization and the team was was different. And frankly, it's better. Uh, <laughs> we were, we were good. We were good already, but like wow, like you see you see what we're doing now. It's incredible. Um, and then like just the way we talk about the business, the metrics, I think, you know, every leadership team has their way of doing it and it's different. And that was really daunting at first. I just, I wasn't an expert on the way we looked at the business or, or measured it. Um, and I had to, I had to kind of learn like, what are these metrics and exactly like, what do they mean? And, you know, it turns out they're, they're very similar things to what you're, you're running before, but I had to learn what they were. And then I had to learn the why mm -hmm. I think learning the why was the, the biggest challenge in the change. Like we measure it this way because this is where our business is going and this is how we care about how our, our business ends up. And once I understood that, I'm, you can easily get on board and be like, all right, I get it. That's what I, that's where I have to get to. But I think those things, you know, for the team that's been running a business for three years, it's, it's like common sense to be running it that way. Yeah. And, I needed, you know, I needed to kind of speak up and, and make sure that they saw like, Hey, this is new to me. So help, help me understand it and help me get there. And once that happened, all of a sudden I could take, take the charge I needed to again. But, uh, you know, that, that's something that's going to happen. And, um, when, when there's two new businesses merging together or even just a leadership change, if you get a new CEO in your current business, they're going to look at the business differently and you really got to understand the, the why behind, um, how they want to run it. Uh, what advice would you have for sales reps and sales leaders who may be going through an acquisition or a merger? The first advice is quickly bring that tight interaction, help the teams understand each other, know each other on a personal level, see that they're very much the same. The second piece would be 
do your very best to give clarity and who's working what and why. Um, when, when two things come together, you have, um, you know, all of a sudden, right, in, in a way, territory shrank, right? right? Instead of having 100 sellers on, you know, with the ability to go after the whole world, we've brought 200 sellers together and they have to go after the whole world or whatever it is. And the, the sooner you can let everybody understand what their charge is and what the territory they own is so that they can be ultra responsible for that territory, I, I think the better off you're going to be. So just getting all over that and along with, you know, bringing the teams together and making sure they know each other and that you're instantly sharing best practices across the whole team and getting rid of silos. Those are, those are the biggest things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're going to move into the tail end of the podcast now. What's the most important skill that sales leaders should focus on in 2020? So if you're running a team of, of managers, right? If you have, if, 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 the sales team you're running is sizable enough that you have a team of leaders. I think the number one thing you can work on is how to better develop those leaders. Mm. How do you teach your managers to manage their reps? How do you teach them to look at um, activities and diagnostics that actually influence the team's ultimate behavior and not look at results? Uh, I think that's, that's, the number one skill to develop in an organization. If you influence, if you have great leaders that know how to coach the reps, your team will scale really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have the leadership that knows how to scale the reps, you're, you're going to have turnover, burnout, frustration. You'll have leaders that are doing the job of a rep and it's really hard to scale. All right, Lou, here's a question we ask all of our guests. No pressure though. <laughs> how would you describe sales in one word? Um, I think it's helping. Interesting. You know, I, I think, I think it's important that we realize like people buy because they need something, not because you sold it to them. Right. So you're, you're helping them understand what, what their options are and what they could get and why that thing can, can do what it's, it's supposed to, to, to solve their problem. But you can't just, you can't really sell it to them. You can't force the issue. You can help them make, make the decision. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Lou, thanks so much for your time, man. We appreciate all the advice and the insights. Uh, It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Lou. Thanks. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.